and if those who are going to participate in the reading would like to come up to the platform, they can do that. A few weeks ago, you might remember that we read the origin story of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. Are we having trouble? Is it me? And when we read that story from Joseph's perspective, we realized that this name, Emmanuel, does not just mean God with us, it means love with us. And then on Christmas Eve, we mixed all our gospel stories together in one bowl, which is what we usually do. But really, they're very different stories. And so from now until Easter, we're going to focus our discussions on the gospel according to Matthew. Now, the genre of what is a gospel is something pretty unique in literature. It's not a novel, but it's also not a strict biography. The gospels are not concerned simply with the hard facts about the life of Jesus of Nazareth. The gospels are concerned with the meaning of Jesus the Messiah as an event in the world. And it's important that we know the difference so that we approach these stories the right way. Matthew's gospel, we have to remember, was written anywhere between 30 and 60 years after Jesus died. Which means everything that they remember about Jesus is now colored by the truth of his resurrection and what his followers are doing in the world. This is not a modern-day biography written by a journalist who's seeking to uncover the facts about the life of Jesus. Not that there's not facts in here, but that's not the goal. This is an account of the good news of the saving act of God accomplished in Jesus Christ, and it was written by a deeply devoted follower of Jesus. That's already the perspective they're starting from. It was written by believers for believers to preserve and pass on their experience of who Jesus was. Now, despite what we like to hear about the Magi and where we like to put them in our activity scenes, this morning's reading really probably picks up about two years after the baby Jesus was born. So let us listen now in the reading of Scripture for the word and the wisdom of God. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, and they replied, He will be born in Bethlehem, in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for this child. As 
soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah. <laughs> After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said to the chief prophet Jeremiah, was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted as they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was riding in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in the dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So what was fulfilled was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of God for all people. One of the craziest things about God's plan to rescue and heal the world is that God showed up as a baby to a poor family in an occupied country. This is so unexpected that many people both then and now miss the significance of it. So this morning on this day of Epiphany, I invite you to let this story be about how we, how we react to unexpected revelations. Matthew views the arrival of Jesus as a contrast between darkness and light. And the Gospel of John has the same view. You may remember that it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John likes double meanings, so that word overcome can also mean understand. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot understand it or overcome it. John gives this to us in deep theological metaphor, which some of us really like, but Matthew gives it to us in a story that everyone can understand. Jesus comes, depicted by the rising of a new star, a new light, and Herod cannot understand it. Herod was the king of the Jews, according to the Roman Empire. And when the Magi come, bearing witness to a new light and asking, where's the king of the Jews? Herod can only understand this in one way. To Herod, the title king of the Jews can only mean one thing, and he's already it. His mind is closed to any new possibilities. He has already decided what king of the Jews means, and if anyone else uses those same words, they're a threat to his power. This is the only way he can see it. And the religious leaders have the same problem. They know all the prophecies. They know where the Messiah is supposed to be, but nobody expects it to be this little poor baby. So they also miss out on seeing the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot understand it. And so sometimes, when the darkness cannot understand it, the darkness tries to overcome it. Darkness wants to overcome the light. The conflict is real. We feel it. Now, for privileged people, the idea of the struggle between darkness and light is sometimes reduced to an interesting philosophical debate. But the story reminds us that for people on the margins of society, the struggle between darkness and light is actual life and death struggle. Darkness wants to overcome the light, and it does not care what kind of collateral damage happens along the way. The word used in verse 14, when the angel says that Herod is seeking, some versions say kill, some versions say destroy, it means to utterly, violently, absolutely, permanently, miserably put an end to something or someone. This is what the darkness tries to do, and it doesn't care who's in the path when it does it. And while Herod doesn't succeed in doing that to Jesus, he does succeed in doing it to other poor and oppressed children whose families have no defense. This is what the darkness does. How does Herod react to this unexpected revelation? With closed-minded assumptions that lead to his fear, his fury, and to destruction. On the other hand, we have the Magi. Not necessarily three of them, not necessarily all men, not necessarily what we might call wise. They were astrologers, horoscope readers, omen followers. They were not people who had the kind of wisdom that the Jewish people usually respected or would have been interested in, and yet we celebrate them as the models for what it looks like to react well to an unexpected revelation. 
They were open and they were curious. They displayed a willingness to inconvenience themselves in their sincere search for truth. And they displayed a desire to worship. It took them years of seeking, of journeying, of waiting and studying. See if this sounds familiar, there's a star. It's leading onward, just enough ahead that you can't quite catch it. And just when you're so frustrated, it stops, waits for you to catch up, and then sets out again, staying a little bit ahead of you. But when this star finally stops and the Magi find Jesus, they realize that everything they have been waiting for and going through is worth it. The Magi's openness to unexpected revelation leads to rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. The King James Version hits it right on the head with the translation. Yes, that's right. They rejoice with maxed out mega joy, is what the Greek says. So how do we react to the light? How do we react to unexpected revelations in our lives? Like Herod with misunderstanding and fear? We do sometimes, honestly. Or like the Magi with openness and curiosity and joy. The reality is that it's possible to miss out on what God is doing if it doesn't match our assumptions. The light may be shining in our darkness in all kinds of ways, and we can't understand it because it's not the light we expected. If I assume that God showing up means one particular thing in my situation and that thing doesn't happen, then I usually assume that God didn't show up. What if God showed up in a way I wasn't planning on? The Gospel of Matthew loves a good paradox. Those who think they know what they are looking for miss the Messiah, while the outsiders with no assumptions find more than they dreamed of. The poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven. It's all totally unexpected. Matthew loves this all through the book. And this means that the paradoxical challenge for us as we start a new year, is to expect the unexpected. To get ready for a surprise. No matter what age you are, to prepare for something that you haven't imagined. The gift of every new year is the reminder of new possibilities. And on this Sunday, when we celebrate the epiphany, the light breaking forth, the outsiders who show us what faithfulness looks like, we are invited to open our minds to the light of unexpected revelation. And that's the truth that we celebrate when we come to this table. As an adult, Jesus shows us what it means to not only receive the unexpected, but to do the unexpected. 
more paradoxes from the book of Matthew. Those who lose their life for the sake of the kingdom will find it. Real love loves the haters so much that it would rather be destroyed by them than destroy them. The only way to live is by being willing to die. Because here's what the darkness will never understand. There is nothing it can actually do to the light. The light has victory just by continuing to be itself. No matter the darkness, the light keeps shining. And the darkness simply cannot overcome it. And when we really get that, we respond like the Magi by rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. In fact, our ancestors in the faith have shouted it from the rooftops for hundreds of years that this right here is the joyful and victorious feast of the people of God. People of all genders, of all ages, of all races, every type of body, from the east and the west, from the north and the south, all are welcome to gather here around Christ's table.